Hey guys, it's Jason and Chris from the REI360 show. You can always find us online at any social media platform at hashtag the REI360 show. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Josh Davidson from ChopDog. We have a great talk with Josh today. We're talking entrepreneurship, tech, uh, mobile apps, wearables, VR, all kinds of future cool stuff. So check it out. Josh, hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. For sure, yeah. Thanks for taking the time. Um, first things first, let's rewind to the beginning a little bit, if we could. Um, tell everyone a little bit about um, where you're from, where you grew up, how you got into business, that the whole backstory. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. So I actually became an entrepreneur fairly young for most individuals probably listening to this or anyone that considers themselves an entrepreneur. The company I run now, which I founded almost seven years ago, I was 16 actually when I started it. So, and I grew up right in the Jersey Shore, not necessarily where the show was originally from, but <laughs> close to Atlantic City. So, if you guys are familiar with like geography where Atlantic City yeah, is based yeah. out, we were in AC a couple months ago. So, there you guys know exactly. I grew up right on the outskirts. Like, my parents worked in Atlantic City, grew up in the entire environment, the casino entertainment industry. And honestly, that's one of the reasons why I think I got really heavily into entrepreneurship is I grew up in an environment where my dad was a manager at a major casino, um, always was delegating, working with people. I grew up in that environment. Um, I think I grew up in one of the most amazing factors of just being raised where my parents would let me experiment, do things on my own, and learn from my own mistakes and be my own identity, which helped. And then, of course, I grew up, in my opinion, probably the golden era of the web, right? So this is like the, the era from AOL hell to about Yahoo GeoCities, if you're going, like, <laughs> if I'm dating stuff. Right. Like, this is the Wild West era of, like, technology sure. and the internet. So... I consider myself really, really blessed for two reasons. One, I, I was aware enough, old enough to appreciate the mod, that Wild West era that really shaped the dot-com bubble, created the beginning of the technology revolution as we know. But I was also probably the first generation to fully be on board with technology versus the generation right before me that saw the disconnect where they can remember the time before computers, after. Pretty much I grew up in an environment I've always been surrounded from like Windows 95 up my entire life. But I was still old enough to appreciate that West era. So the mix of like my upbringing and being able to experiment, having a computer at such a young age, falling in love with the idea of like making something, like telling the computer to do something is just the most holy shit, amazing yeah. feeling in the world. Even today, you know, now it's more like mobile, wearable stuff like that, but you still get that same feeling. And also being a part of that like Wild West era of being able to just create anything, put it up there, almost like all hands on deck era, right? There's like almost no consequences to your action, which is both positive and negative. Like, you know, I was playing around with AO Hell, which is obviously a negative consequence. I don't know if you guys remember that, right? Um, yeah, and then dial up. at the same No, exactly, right? And used to like used to be able to steal people's credit cards if you wanted to off of there, shut down their AOL accounts. That thing is just it was terrible. <laughs> um, so but also because of where I grew up when the recession hit in like two thousand to 2009, 10 era, it really impacted the area I grew up in because it's based around the casino industry, which as I'm sure you guys know, is based right. around disposable income. And what's the first thing to happen, usually a recession, most people lose that disposable income and casinos shut down, people got laid off, sure. jobs kind of like, you know, really shrunk and what a traditional 14, 15, 16 year old job that I would get would have as an opportunity did not exist, right? Because people who are way over qualified needed a job opportunity just to basically keep a 
house over their heads or a roof over their heads, excuse me, be able to feed their children, you know, have a livelihood period. So it left individuals like myself a little bit more stranded. And I always grew up with that entrepreneurial tendencies of building my own stuff. I was building my own websites when I was 12, 13 years old. I actually sold a website at 14 years old. I had my parents sign a contract at the time because I was not legally <laughs> able to sign contracts for, then. For your first exit. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's right. true. I mean, that's it really was. It wasn't a business, but I still sold it. Um, I had thousands of users. I had like volunteers and staff back in the day there. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I believe 100%. Gary Vaynerchuk says this quite often that you're not entrepreneurship is a talent. Just like if you're really good at basketball, you can practice all you want. There's those who are just naturally gifted. I think same thing with entrepreneurship or you're born to be an entrepreneur, and I'm sure you guys, especially on this podcast, can recognize those who are truly authentic sure. entrepreneurs versus who's a entrepreneur. And especially in my industry, where we help people turn their great ideas to reality, and we talk to four or five hundred people a year that are inspiring to become an entrepreneur, you can easily identify the trends. What is a true authentic individual that has entrepreneurial tendencies? Who's a true entrepreneur? And who's a new entrepreneur who saw the movie The Social Network wants to emulate that lifestyle <laughs> and once once the going gets tough, you know, they're they're gonna be like stranded there because this is not the lifestyle meant for them. Yeah. Um, and I grew up in those environments and those criteria and kind of what led me to starting Chop Dog at sixteen was a bunch of those factors and my passion for building companies. So if you're going back to like that exit, you can call it, I realized at a very, very early age, and I'm really blessed about this, is like I fucking love building companies and building products. Like, there's sure. nothing cooler to me than that, that early stage of building a brand, that market validation, building something that people want to use. And I also, and I'm biased by this, but I believe I have the track record now to kind of back it up. I'm really, really, really gifted at understanding what the market wants, what the user wants, and building a product that delivers around that. And one of the reasons why we get so many clients, things like that, is because we tell it as it is and we work with them to build products that can be scalable, that can be monetized, that people would want to use. Because anybody can build something, but not anyone can build a company, right, that can build a product that's going to not only do what it needs to do, but people would want to use it, would want to pay for it, you can scale. And that's always been both, I think, a passion of mine and a talent of mine and a skill set that I'm always trying to improve upon and staying relevant. And it doesn't matter if we're dealing with physical hardware, dealing with software, wearable, sure. VR possibly in the future, car operating systems. You know, it's, it's, We're at a very, very fortunate time where it, you can build a product on almost anything. So yeah. kind of like the full loaded story, but I'll give you a full scope of everything. Yeah, got it. I think we have very similar views. Chris and I are also huge followers of Gary Vee and uh, For sure. <laughs> respect and understand sure. a lot of things that come out of his mouth. And, you know, although our, you know, our core business of, you know, real estate investing that we're in, you know, obviously is a little bit different. You know, that's just mm -hmm. the niche, you know, the business in general is the big picture thing. Um, you know, our operation is we lend money to real estate investors that flip properties and being in this space and, you know, marketing nonstop to try to weed out what we call the hobbyists. You know, it's it's kind of a nice term of biz op buyers in the internet marketing space, but <laughs> we call them real, real estate investing hobbyists, oh, totally. which is 90 to 95 percent of them. Um, you know, we certainly see that because, you know, we're marketing and getting, you know, thousands and thousands of loan applications or leads on a monthly basis to wean them down to the real deal guys that are actually doing business. So we can certainly relate to that. Um, so tell us a little bit about ChopDog and then why you kind of decided to create that as, you know, your first real business that you're looking to grow and scale. Yeah, it's a, it's probably the answers, your, both your questions have the same answer. Um, so a little bit about what we do and how it came about is 
we pretty much, on the surface, when you look at our company, we, we're approached as a development firm. But we're honestly, the true answers are anything but. A development firm helps build someone's idea, an app, a product from A to B, and that, that's it. What we focus on is primarily non-technical entrepreneurs and companies with great technical ideas that help bring their ideas to life. So if you really want a more deeper layer, we're almost as if your favorite incubator had a baby with a development firm and we popped <laughs> out. Um, that's pretty much the, the answer <laughs> of what we do. So we actually call ourselves a startup catapult, and the reason for this is we take people's ideas and catapult it to the marketplace. And by the way, I apologize. I live in the city, so if you hear the sirens, so that's no the great city of Brighton. You're in Philly, you're in Philly right? Yep. Yeah, we have an yep. office in Fort Washington, so I'm familiar. I get so I don't actually care. I'm pretty sure it's right now. Yeah, there's like an ambulance going by right now. Fort Washington's awesome. Um, awesome. I'm actually right in Northern Liberties, if you yep. guys know what that is. Yep. Sure. So um, right near the waterfront, old city. Yeah, know the area well. Cool. But going back to it real quick is we realized for every technical individual with a great technical idea, every technical company with a great technical idea, there's 10 non-technical individuals companies with a great idea. And we realized mm-hmm. – holy crap, there's really no solutions to this. And I think part of what you build a great business upon is solving a problem that, other, that people either aren't solving or doing a shitty job on. And we believe it was a mix of both. And we realized if, you had a if you're not technical, great technical idea, you have two options to go about it. You can go to a dev shop in the United States, right? But, but the issue here is most are going to charge you a second mortgage. And let's be real. If I yes. ask a room of 50 people who has a second mor- who's willing to spend a, sick- a second mortgage to build an idea. You Can you read that? Non-tech founder? There you go. Non-tech founder. There, there you go. go. I love that. That was applicable. Okay. So that's perfect. So I've got to give one to all my clients. So pretty much what happens is we realize no one can afford a second mortgage. So no one's going to go to a quality dev shop. And then if there's no dev shop in the United States that really can afford them, you know, they're going to go overseas, right? To Pakistan, China, Uganda. Yep. And I don't probably have to explain the M. Night Shyamalan plots as we go Philly jokes here of what happens when you go overseas, right? You know, you're probably going to get scammed, pennies on the dollar, stuff like that. So what happens now is, is there another shirt? Oh, I thought I'd rather pull up another shirt. No, no, we have it, another shirt. We, we, could, have, we could have started the show like that. The Gary V. Gary V. shirt. Let's get into the show. This is, this is a lot of swag going See, we on have, Yeah, we have, we have all this shit. If they're not even box? our stuff we're plugging. This is, we're plugging other people's stuff. This is, this is, <laughs> anyway, sorry. Sorry. sorry to keep interrupting so, you with our T-shirt. Yeah, no worries. It's awesome. <laughs> so what we, we realized pretty much is, all right, most people can't afford a second mortgage to work of a dev shop in the United States. And if they could, they're not focusing on building a company, building something scalable, right? They're, not, they're just focusing on taking it from A to B, and that's it. And people were going over to Uganda, Ukraine, Pakistan, China, Japan – they're getting pennies on the dollars worth of quality. They're not focusing on companies. And people from my awake can identify bullshit, especially the bullshit that comes out of those. And we said to ourselves, why can't you take an incubator model and apply it to a development firm model? So what we do is we work with people with great ideas, companies with great ideas, and help them build and bring their products to market. But what's different about it is we're not just A to B. We're actually providing the expertise, the consultation, the connections, and we're providing all the facets from the design of the product, user experience, the brand, the marketing strategy, maturing the product, coming up with an MVP, how to validate, figuring out market traction, bringing the idea to life. Coming up with the other variables, how are you going to raise money? How are you going to attract a Series A, a Series B, Series C, an angel round, a VC firm? How are you going to get on the media? How are you going to get on TechCrunch, NextWeb, VentureBeat? How are you going to get plugged on Gary Vee's show, right? Uh, how are you going to get on his radar, right? Like figuring out how do you build companies and actually bring them to market and people want to use them. Sure. And 
we've now done this since August of 2009. We've launched a little over 160 companies to date. We've had a lot of success stories. I mean, if you look up, we've had companies and incubators, accelerators, been acquired, raised millions of dollars, have relocated to from San Francisco to New York to Boston. We literally just two weeks ago, as we're recording this podcast, launched a client in Bangkok, Thailand. So, you know, we're all over the map. And it's amazing. And we get to work from the most inspiring entrepreneurs, the serial entrepreneurs, to serial businesses, to VC firms, to lawyers, to any market you can think of. And, you know, the reason why we got into this is we identified a problem that we truly did believe we can solve them better than anybody else. And we still believe that. Um, we believe with what we're doing, nobody compares to what we're doing. And then the second thing was, it was something I was just always passionate about. You know, going back to, I knew my love was growing and building companies and products. And this was my dream come true. How I get to do this every single day. You know, and at the same time, it all comes back to growing and building my company and the brand we're trying to do here. So that's how our company came to be and what we do. And then on a more social mission drive, we put out a lot of content and we try to be a resource to inspire entrepreneurs to become entrepreneurs. And at the same point in time, what we want to do with them as well is a resource for entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, active companies and starts to get tips and suggestions on how to scale, how to grow. And eventually we want to keep moving forward. You know, our, our ambition is always we're a service-based company, but we want to grow that to eventually keep producing more and more great content out there from our podcast, from our blog, from our social media eventually do conferences, open up a VC side to start investing more into companies that we're working with, sure. companies that have their shit together, right, but just need the financial resources, need the connections. Um, we really, really have ambitions because, I, I, again, going back to the Wild West era, I believe we're in the modern gold rush. The modern, this is our equivalent of the gold rush in the 1800s or when steam power became the big. And I believe there can be a company out there to help facilitate the transition of the greatest companies and products in the digital sphere. And that's why we don't necessarily call ourselves maybe a development firm or a, a mobile shop or anything like that because we don't want to be limited by an operating system either. Like, you know, Windows 95 firms don't exist anymore. You know, software is almost like a relevant term in this day and age, right? Mobile app development one day might not exist for VR, operating systems, and cars, stuff like that. So we believe in just being a technology development company that focuses on Every ecosystem out there, whether it's wearable, mobile, web, software, operating system, Internet of Things, whatever that might be. Sure. Yeah, very interesting. And it's just like you said, doing that description, that it's um, uh, very much part tech, part incubator, advisor along the way, all rolled into one. Um, pretty cool. And, and are you, I don't want to get into your personal company business, but are you guys doing equity plays too in some of the companies that you launch? So this is, yeah, that was a really good question. So all the clients we take on are compensation-based, but we have taken equity in the past. So what we normally do is one or two things. Let's say you came to us and you had this amazing idea and we love you as an entrepreneur and you had, let's say, a $60,000 budget. But when we figured out everything you needed, you're looking at $80,000 for work. And there's that $20,000 difference, right? There's that right there. And you can't raise it. But we really like you. We like the idea. We like the connections you have. And we think with the right execution, this is going to be big. We'll offset the difference of equity. And that's one way we take an equity in the past for like difference in budgets of that nature. Um, and sometimes then we'll help people raise money too after we launch them. And then we'll take a piece of the pie since we're helping them raise money as well. Right. So it depends on the situation. We haven't just taken equity point blank, uh, point blank, excuse me. Um, now, eventually, I do see us getting to that point. I really do. And as well, investing point blank in just companies that have their stuff needed. They just need more of the connections, expertise, and the resources that we have in our infrastructure. And we're going to get there too. 
but that's kind of gives you that full overview roadmap of what it all looks like. You, do you feel like a lot of your the guys you're working with, I, I guess we can call it an agency basis, but it, are these startup companies or are they companies that already have some sort of infrastructure in place? So up till two years ago, I'll tell you they were all startups. Like either infant stage startups or very early stage startups. Now we're working with companies too. Um, so it's a mix of both. And usually the companies we work for are companies that want that startup mentality. So, so let's take I'm a basketball organization and we want to create a mobile application for when our guests come into the stadium so they can order, they can upgrade their tickets, they can buy concession stands, walk up and get it. They want to completely change the experience of an NBA game, let's say, um, for their team. Well, they don't want to work with a traditional firm because they don't want to look at it black and white. They want to look at it from the ground up from a startup mentality. And they're coming to a company like us now because we're going to come with the same approach as if they're starting from scratch. And that's an asset. So it it allows companies to refocus back to the roots, which you need when you're going to a brand new market. If we can look at an app like Greenskeeper that we work with, Greenskeeper is the largest social network to the game of golf on the internet. I believe as of right now, they have 65,000 active daily users, daily. Like incredible, and they have had an app for over or a web app, excuse me, for almost twelve years. We came in and helped with their mobile and brought them to mobile that never existed before. So we went to a whole new product niche and helped rebranded them for a new era. Um, so we didn't reinvent the wheel, but we reinvented their strategy and their new product from the ground up for what it is they're trying to do. So it is a mix of both. You could be someone with a brand new idea. You can be a company that's just looking to introduce a brand new product niche, or in circumstances, you can be a professional team, a Fortune 500, just looking to go to a brand new marketplace and want that startup mentality into that infrastructure you already have. Real, yeah, real cool stuff. Real cool stuff. Let, let me ask you a question. On your end, like, what do you believe to be the most highest level thing that you could be working on? Is it the creative side? Is it, is it you know, you know, business so infrastructure company, systems? Like, what's your highest level activity? So are you asking as far as me personally or as yes. a company? No, as, you, as you, run you personally. Like Chris and I both know. I mean, we have in this office we're in now, which is you know our core business, which is our real estate lending. We have a, involved with a lot of stuff with you know, um, different business we're involved in. But like this is our core operation. We've got 10 employees, and we each have our highest level activities, obviously putting out quality content to our email database. Yeah, you got it. Like what would you say is your highest level thing that you know, you're concentrating on? And So – I think a lot of people are biased because of the amount of content I personally put up there that they think content distribution and brand is. But the reality is being the CEO of my company. You know, I have a team member of 22 people. I have over 160 clients. Um, we're building about 25 companies at a given time. So my probably, if you look at my day, let's say I work 16 hours in a day, I'm going to say about 14 to 16 hours are focused on the responsibility of being the CEO, my team being in the best position to succeed figuring out what we're being weak at, making sure we're growing as a company, making sure we're bringing in new customers, new clients, helping more and more people, providing better value, being more impactful, better customer service, being more efficient. Um, all that aspects is probably the most focus of my day. But here's the thing about it is that's the 80% of my time, but the 20% that I focus the rest is what makes up the 80% of the noise that you see in the marketplace. So the content we put out there, the personal brand, being a part of a podcast like you guys doing our own podcast, that makes the most noise. And that's what a lot of people, I think, when they think of me or they know my personal brand will assume. But the reality is most of my time, most of my day, most of my focus is going into actual operations of my company. And you know, I, 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 I believe almost you can break it down that my team sees the real version of me, right? And I'm just almost got my own company, number one. My team's like insanely, insanely intelligent and motivated. Um, you know, they see the real me, the person that's 
will sit down for six hours focused and listening and taking down notes and working on strategies and talking to clients and things like that. And my clients get a real perspective too because now I'm working with them more intimately. Um, but I think the public perception that sees it only sees like the true content side, the marketing side. Like, because I, you know, I publicly speak. I'll be attending conferences next week. I'm on your guys after just having another interview in a couple hours from now. We're doing a podcast episode on Friday again. We just did one back on Monday. Yeah. We have a blog post going out Friday, so they see a lot of content. But yeah, I think really the high level, my true focus is that most of my day is that behind the scenes CEO stuff that you know is not sexy, but to me it is. But to the average consumer, it's not. Yeah, we, we kind of call that stuff transactional stuff versus growth activities, and we try to differentiate the two and different mindset, different everything. You know, 50% of our day is, you know, w- working on working on loans or originating new business or going to real estate projects that are under construction. You know, we call those transactional stuff, and, you know, that's the day-to-day. That's where... We all have you, to do it. Th- yeah, that's what we have to do, and that's where the dollars come in tomorrow on, right? The exact, do- you know, the time I put in today, the dollar comes in tomorrow, and then you have the growth stuff you know, shows, writing a book that we, you know, that we published a few months ago, you know, speaking at conferences, networking at events, all that stuff, being involved in mastermind groups. You know, that's like what we call the 50% growth and 50% of our day we try to, you know, spend so on that. I um, 100% agree with you. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, that's why we all put out great content things because we're both, we want to help people, but we also want to build our brand. Sure. Though I will also play devil's advocate, not that I disagree because that's exactly the mentality we have, but for example, if I can improve our operations by an additional $100,000 a year in efficiency, now we have an extra $100,000 in profit, oh, yeah. not revenue. Let's say it stays, stays the same. And using the $100,000, I acquire a better salesperson, better sales team or whatever that might be. And now that individual brings in an extra 25 clients in a given year and increases our revenue by an extra yeah. 5 10 $15 million. Even though I did not focus on the growth aspect of it, uh, of the marketing side, I still focus on the growth of the operations, which then grew the company as well off the dividends of that. Agreed. So I don't want to ever yeah. undersell that transactional side either. Yeah, I mean, okay. There was a caveat in that growth side. It was also optimization, making bigger and making better versus just day to day. So yes, exactly that example Training that you said. That, yeah, that example that you said would be what we call like a point scoring activity that would go over on the growth and optimization side. Yeah. Make bigger, make better. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, and answer. for those listening, I think for a lot that are probably listening to this podcast, listen to most, you know, that that's part of as you as you're in entrepreneurship for years and you start learning those little intimate details, the compound interest kind of how it builds up. And I think that's what really differentiates an entrepreneur from everyone else is that long term picture. How does everything compound over time and how does everything you do matter to the long run? Like what you're doing today might you might not see dividends for five years from now, but five years from now, what's going to be the return investment from what you're doing today? Absolutely. And that's, I mean, one of the, the biggest <clears throat> rewards, I would say, about entrepreneurship and living this kind of lifestyle is just, uh, you know, enjoying coming in to the office every day and building something. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people that's lost on or maybe it's just not their focus or whatever. But those who are, I mean, it's a, it's a really, really enjoyable way to make a living. That, that building something is truly your own. Cool. Cool, cool. Um, Okay. For the people who are watching and listening now, what are you looking for more of? If somebody's looking to launch an idea or whatever, or if it's a company that's existing, like, what are you looking to do more of client-wise moving forward? 
I'm not biased. I mean, we'll take the entrepreneur, and the inspiring entrepreneur, and we'll take the Fortune 500. I'd say different budgets, different goals, but to us, everyone's the same. And I, I don't say that cliche way. I, I do believe in our core values of the company. It doesn't matter if you're someone with a $10,000 budget or a $50 million budget, we're going to treat you the same. Now, obviously, we have a different capacity, workload, and what we provide service-wise. But when it comes to like who we're looking for, we have no preference. As long as they fit the value we can provide and we know it's something we can do, and it's a winner wheelhouse, you know, it's all one and the same. So I, it's hard for me to answer. It's like if you have kids asking probably which one of your kids is your favorite. Oh, God, you know, I, I have no. That. Yeah, it's the oldest. <laughs> it's the oldest. Let's be real. Um, um, not necessarily. But, <laughs> but you know, the, but the, the reality is, you know, we're not picky. I mean, probably our objective is we're just looking for the word more. Because as a company, we want to help more people and more companies and more businesses and more products. So we, this year, we're very fortunate. It's what, February 10th that we're in, or February 18th or 17th today, right? Losing track of time. I know we've already doubled all of what we did last year as a company in today's date. Nice. Uh, all of last year. And we're like, what, what not even two twelfths into like one sixth into the year. So, you know, we're growing at such a rapid pace. And it's amazing. Um, and part of it's about years of planning and we want to keep even growing even further because we're not satisfied as a company and it's kind of that competitive drive we have in us too which helps um, but you know that's kind of our outlook as well we just want to find more people we can help that truly believe that our infrastructure our ecosystem our culture is the right fit for them and we're the right fit for them too and that we can make that happen. Sure, yeah, I think a lot of people in the space, you know, with the entrepreneurs that we work with, the real estate investors that we ever fund or partner with or do deals with, a big thing is user experience. And especially in kind of our business model, um, you know, tech kind of has taken over even offline real estate investing. And we see it firsthand. Um, you know, there are larger tech companies, larger, just larger companies that, that come in and they're really winning by user experience. They're making it, you know, we were, we were looking at, optimizing a loan application, for instance, that we have on our, one of our websites, and it was 15 fields, and we get great response from it. You know, our CPA is great. We get really good response, and we compared it to this new-age tech company who's trying to deploy a ton of money to real estate investors out there, and it was a whole, like, Apple swipe, like, this question, this question, this question. It was a really good user, user experience that we checked out, and it's one of those things that I think a, real estate in general is an old school type of business model. It's offline, you know, you physically touch real estate. And I think one thing that a lot of our viewers that are big, sophisticated real estate investors, either on the lending side or the buy-in side, always could use more help on their user experience in order to just help navigate, you know, Well, their, I'll say this world. as well. To me, some of the sexiest industries right now in the tech scape is taking non-technical concept going on a mobile app literally pressing a button handling the transaction using your phone rating having accountability and geolocation on your side they took a real world thing and apply technology to solve a problem make it more efficient that people didn't even realize was a problem airbnb is kind of the same thing it was just people's That's houses right. a real tangible thing so right. you know i would actually say some of the best ideas that we deal with personally are real tangible things that people are just using technology to solve a problem to better than what existed and to me, to a lot of people, I may not consider that sexy, but to me, that's the some sexiest thing because it's a proven market. The ideas are already been validated. If you execute with a better price point and more value, you're automatically going to win over the market. You just got to advertise to it. And that's something like it's almost like a playbook for success has already been wrote for you. You just got to execute on that playbook. It's like a football team that knows exactly the defense are going to be read. So if you know they're going to be going um, to cover for the pass, run the ball. If they're going to cover for the run, pass the ball. You just got to execute at this point, right? 
That's um, right. And yeah. our job is to put the best team on the field and then tell them how to execute and make it execute. You know, I think that that's probably a great takeaway from this talk, too, and there are a number of them. But one of them for sure is that the right kind of tech, the right kind of, you know, online or mobile user experience for anyone's customer is what people need to be really dialed into and upgrading because things are changing so fast. You don't want to get left behind when the next Uber comes into your industry and wipes you out. Right. Um, totally. And I think wearable is one of the sexiest things right now because nobody's yeah, thinking wearable. Wearable is only growing strong. And I, I actually wrote a blog post about this in September. First, second, one big success story happens on wearable. Everyone's going to flock there and be like, why were we not there earlier? So, you know, I think there's like, especially if I'm looking at real estate, just the opportunities on wearable, like, this is maybe a terrible idea in hindsight, but just because I'm not fully in the real estate market, how amazing it would be just by geolocation, knowing the price value of every house you are by just looking at your watch real quick next exactly. to a home, apartment, yeah. condo. It's like that quick glance digestion of information. Yeah. You know, yeah. wearable, it's in that nature. wearable and VR for sure is going to be big in real estate. VR is huge. Um, you know, we had Andrew Brand on our podcast. We were talking about how in the future, one day you can pay for access to be from the first person point of view of let's say Cam Newton in the Super Bowl or that first row seat in the Super Bowl, right? Or at a football game, that virtual experience. And you know, now there's a movie coming out made just for virtual reality, 360 scope, right? So VR is going to change the name of the game, but I do think it's going to take a lot longer than people are going to estimate. Um, I think you know a lot of people are estimating within the next five years. I think it's going to be a 10, 15 year game before you start seeing the dividends of VR. But I think in our lifetimes, it's going to be something that's going to be absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, we got a little. This there is the technology go. we're working with right now. It's plastic, and you slap your I phone mean, into it, so I mean, it's got, I, it's I got a little ways to go. Virtual reality tours, what your home would be like, what it could be like if you're updating your home, you're yeah. adding on to it. You I think know, in real estate, it's big. Yeah, it will be big it's, for sure. It's, I think augmented reality can be another amazing aspect for you guys as well. Like you're in a construction site, you have augmented reality to automatically add in what it's going to be, or you're an architect or engineer. Um, you know, so many, so many opportunities. For sure. Um, well, good stuff. Good stuff. I think that's about all I had. you have anything additional for Josh? Josh, where can uh, people reach out to you if they want to follow you on social media, interact with you, or reach out to your company for a project? Where should they go? So our- our company's real easy. If you go to chop.dog, C-H-O-P dot D-O-G, you will go to our website, or you can go to chopdog.com, but dog then is D-A-W-G. Um, so our URL works. Um, for me personally, on almost every social network, I am under the name Das Joshua, D-A-S-J-O-S-H-U-A, except Snapchat, which is Joshua Davidson, the full name, because some a-holes took my name before I ever got to sign up. Um, and then tried to hold a ransom for me, so I just said, screw it. So, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Joshua at is my email. Awesome. Good stuff. Thanks a lot for being on. Definitely enjoyed the material. And we'll let you know next time we're in Philly. You got it, guys. Thanks, guys. Cool. Awesome. Sweet.